There's never been a single time, not a, not a one, that I've been to Detroit where it wasn't some kind of adventure. The city is fucking crazy. It's like it's palpably alive. It's an entity. It's not like just a place you go. It's, it's Detroit. And one of the reasons that Detroit is my favorite market is because the audiences in Detroit, for a comedian, I find them to be particularly challenging. So when I go there, in this particular story, it seemed like a, a pretty benign night. And I'm sitting in the dressing room at the Fillmore, and there's an older gentleman in there, and I don't really talk to the guy much, but he was a nice guy, cool energy, shit like that. And then uh, famed Detroit rapper Danny Brown came in. Now, at this time, I wasn't that familiar with Danny Brown's music. You know what I mean? So when he asked me to smoke with him, I just smoked with him. I didn't hear all that, Adderall, Adderall, and all that shit. I didn't know he was about that life. I'm assuming it's weed. I don't know what the fuck it was, but boy, I mean, I smoked weed a million times in my life. Never, ever remember feeling this way before. And as I was walking on stage, I told my road manager, you know, my number's up tonight. He's like, what does that mean? I'm going to bomb. And and true to my professional prescription, I did. But <laughs> there's bombing and then there's the shit that happens in Detroit. It's like the, the, the crowd was with me. But the way the crowd responded to me wiping was one of my favorite crowd interactions ever. And as the set is going terrible, when it's clear, I'm not going to be able to pull the nose up and I'm going to have to crash this thing. I saw Danny Brown slipping out the room, which made me laugh really hard. <laughs> Go back in the dressing room, everyone, you know, there's a stink on you after you bond where everyone looks at you like, you know what I mean? Like head wound Harry, like, nigga, are you okay? But I really, I, I can't <laughs> explain it to you. I, I, I really didn't care. And then, and then it turns out that this kind older gentleman was Big Sean's father. And my goodness, what the, the, he gave me a pep talk that only a dad could give. And it made me feel wonderful, wow. man. So shout out to you, Big Sean. Shout out to Detroit. I'll never stop loving your city, and I'll never stop loving you, bro. You guys are the truth. Much love to the Motor City. Tomorrow may never appear 
can't tell from this unconventional opening this is going to be a long podcast so buckle up you've been adequately warned reminder we are taking a winter break in november coming back in january 2022 i say that with the caveat that i can come back with a special podcast if the subject or moment presents itself cough kendrick lamar album dropping i ain't a perfect man i'm trying to do the best that i can with what it is i have I ain't a perfect man, I'm trying to do the best that I can with what it is I have. I love this song. It's almost as if like most Def was having this free-range thought, almost like an SAS to a beat, a stream of consciousness, if you will. And that's where we find Dave Chappelle's latest special. Now, I chose a particular song and opening for a multitude of reasons. Number one, Dave talked about this being his last comedy special for a while and using the city of Detroit as his background canvas for what many consider his latest masterpiece. Although, with art, it does come with criticism and heavy amounts of reflection, and that's where I want to start. Did you know a black man invented comedy? It's true! Charlie Case, the product of an interracial relationship between an Irish woman and a free black man. You see, in the 19th century, particularly sometime... Uh, in 1880s, according to some accounts, he created an art form that was groundbreaking at the time. You see, old Charlie just didn't get up on stage instead of just, you know, reading from a play manuscript or juggling or performing with an instrument or instrument or simply dancing to entertain a crowd, a jig, if you will. Charlie got up on stage and talked. But he didn't just talk and, you know, talk and talk and talk. He combined humor and wit to tell the story of his life. While Frederick Douglass told the black truth in speech by way of strength and power, Charlie told the black experience in joke form. One writer said Mr. Case was so quick that he never stayed too long on the subject before you realized he just told a joke. They called him brilliant. Now, it wasn't before long that Charlie grew up extremely famous in the eyes of Americans and playing in front of white crowds. His humor was the stuff of legends being so heavily commoditized by white members of society that who saw him as a pathway to understanding the black struggle. Case tapped into something so real, so visceral that it became one of the earliest vehicles for telling the black American truth with all that, all that, you know, without all that uh, preservatives of guilt on the side. An energy that still continues to this day, by the way. Now, of course, others, mainly white performers, saw the success of this and started doing the same thing. And audiences caught on and said, you know what? We don't need old Charlie and rendering him, you know, uh, and his black observations obsolete and just a footnote in history. And this is where we find Dave Chappelle in his latest special. 
taking on the track of the great vocal essayists in comedy history, Lenny Bruce, George Carlin, Richard Pryor, and of course, Charlie Case. Now, when we first meet Dave Chappelle, or rather when I first was introduced to him, it was around 1998, 1999. Don't put too much thought into that. I'm old. He had just put out this movie called Half-Baked and a guest spot in some you know, movies, but nothing really notable. I think one was like Blue Streak with Martin Lawrence. Some other just guest spots. It's no wonder that I, you know, I took my date at the time to his comedy set. It was at a local small uh, club in Sacramento, California. Shout out the Kings. When I tell you that even now it remained one of the funniest sets I've ever been to, I remember I laughed so hard that my eardrums popped. Can you imagine laughing so hard that you're, Eardrums literally pop. That's what happened to me. I would then become into the David Chappelle gospel, I would say, and afterwards would tell anybody who cared about who cared about my opinions on comedy that I just saw the funniest comedian alive, and his name was Dave Chappelle. Shortly thereafter, about two to three years later, he announced to the world of doing this show on a startup cable channel um, called Comedy Central, and the show being the Dave Chappelle Show. And I was, remember, I was like, yes, this is perfect. I love Dave Chappelle. I always felt like Dave Chappelle's show season one was his best work. Yeah, sure, season two provided the biggest hits, Rick James, Charlie Murphy, and its such. But like artists whose music you discovered before the world took over, it's always the debut album that remains the dearest to your heart. Sure, the world was introduced to you because of your Hard Knock Life album, right? But it's, and you know, the biggest hits and all that can I get up, but it really is reasonable doubt where I knew you'd be special. And that's where season one was to me. And I guess for scores of other black folks is as if we're not only in on the joke, but we the authors of it. Side note, I actually felt like the early two thousands in general felt like a special moment in black pop culture history. It's, it's like, it was like the last time and I'm being purely anecdotal here, but it was like the last time that a piece of black culture was just ours and, you know, nobody else's before it discovered to the masses. You know, we had our Eric Badu's and the Roots and Talu Kuali's and, you know, the most deaths and even the Joe Scott's and it was just the world was just ours. And, you know, understandably, Dave helped introduce this, these musical icons to the world by putting them on his show as musical guests. Hence the homage to most deaf in the opening song of this pod. The second season of Dave Chappelle exploded and as such, so did his audience. Now, you had like white fat kids saying I'm Rick James bitch and yelling out little John ad libs. Yeah. Dave Chappelle and parts of the culture wasn't even ours anymore. He was everyone's, which is fine. That's what you expect with success. This was no more evident than when I went to a comedy show following season two of the Chappelle show and um, no longer playing in like small clubs. It was a huge multi-level seating venue. More importantly, though, and I surmised this with my date at the time, that uh, the crowd not only had grown, but it had grown increasingly white. And I didn't really count the numbers here, but I, I had to guess. Um, it felt like it was almost 80% by my estimate. Now, the jokes were still funny. But an uneasiness grew within me as I watched. The laughter at black observations was done by everyone in the audience and forcing me to ask myself, just who were these jokes for anyway? Dave obviously soon famously walked, stepped away from season three um, and the spotlight, you know, it's been well documented the $50 million he left on the table only to reemerge almost like a decade later as like a 
elder statesman of comedy. Now no longer chasing the punchline as much as he's seemingly chasing an understanding of himself and the world around him. In the song, Umi, uh, most deaf, he admits, you know, I'm not a perfect man. You know, I'm just trying to do the best that I am, best I can for what it is I have. And, you know, neither is Dave Chappelle or this comedy special. But art doesn't have to be perfect to be incredible. Or even to be genius. Now, I'm not saying it was, this was a genius show. I'm just saying this is whatever the people are calling it. They're saying it was genius. And, you know, is there genius in the commentary or is it genius in being able to keep an audience engaged with you for 75 minutes and allowing you to have a conversation about a comedy special 72 hours or whenever you listen to this podcast consuming, you know, days later. My question is this though, who were these jokes made for? And is this latest art expression genius or is it just genius to the uneducated? Something to think about as we delve into the subject. But before we get into that, um, again, welcome to Uncultured Bias Podcast. I'm your host, Kamar Williams. I know that was a long, long opening, but I felt like we needed to really just kind of unpack a lot of things. Um, if you're tuning in for the first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. Um, if you are listening on Apple, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a five-star rating and a message, and that's how way that Apple actually does engagement. If you're on Apple and Spotify, please subscribe as well. And share with your friends. We always say that sharing is caring. Um, you know, we cannot do this episode. We cannot do these episodes without continuing audience engagement, and that is sharing it to your friends and letting them know how I found a cool podcast talking about a number of different things uh, surrounding Black culture. Um, we we said in, we always said in our beginning that uh, our shows to say that culture is a matter of perspective and opinion, and after all, culture is another way to say discovered. We are uncultured. We are biased. We are black. So, check. You know, please continue to support this initiative by sharing with your friends. Shout out to our sponsors this week are mycompasstaxadvisors.com. You can reach them at 850-273-7193. If you're in the business looking for a great tax attorney um, or if you just need help filing your personal tax returns or you're trying to figure out the tax consequences between the LLC and S-Corp, contact mycompasstaxadvisors.com. If you're in the market for real estate in Central Florida, contact keystoneglobalrealestate.com. That's 407 407- Six eight zero eight five one zero. That's four seven six eight zero eight five one zero or keystoneglobalrealestate.com. And of course, if you're in the market for probate or guardianships, contact my firm at Smith and Williams Trial Group at eight 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 SWTG Law or eight 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 seven nine eight four five two nine or C Williams at SWTGLaw.com. All right. Thank you all for bearing with me. That was a long opening, and I'm actually going to bring in my guest. Uh, I'm going to start off with a friend of mine who we actually heard on the podcast, Keisha said uh we're gonna mulford but i have to capitalize the m on mulford because apparently people don't do that how you doing keisha i'm well make sure you capitalize the m okay m as in mary u-l-f-o-r-t okay because people don't usually capitalize the m in the last name apparently i don't know what's wrong with them i know it's weird all right and the person who i'm really excited about having on so you're not excited about me that's what i heard no because you want me to capitalize the m so (laughs) (laughs) That's what I get. That's what you get. No, because I'm really excited for Shanna because I have been trying to get her on this podcast for a while and she has been ducking and dodging me. And sure it, actively. I've been sliding her DMs <laughs> and she has not been uh, feeling it. And I finally got her to come on this podcast. And so welcome to my friend Shanna Manuel. 
Manuel. Manuel. That's a lowercase M. That's a lowercase M. I spell M. mine differently. And, I mean, but uh, he didn't know how to say it. So, yeah. I, I think mean, he said Wemwell. I said. <laughs> Which is fine. I said Manuel Noriega. <laughs> that's what I said. And so, <laughs> um, and so I've been trying to get her. And it's the reason I'm excited for Shanna because she's a, um, not only is she intelligent and she's gracious and she's so uh, distinctive in her abilities to communicate an idea, but she is an attorney who moonlights as a comedian and, you know, who also happens to identify, and we were just having this t- conversation offline as gay, but I called her queer. And then we were trying to figure out, you know, which one is the right designation. Where that came from. Yeah. Like, which just, is, I learned that I'm queer. When yeah. You told me. Yes. So thank you. I just, I just introduced you, you to your you own thing. You brought me out. I, 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 I came you out. I <laughs> you came you, me out. I came you out of the closet. <laughs> <All> <laughs> <right>. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I got my dude on here, Carlton. He's joining us live from Maryland. What's up, Carlton? You still with us? I'm still here with you. What's going on with you, bro? Kamara, ladies, how are y'all doing? Hello. Good to. Hello. Oh, somebody sounds sexy. Okay. <laughs> She's married, sir. <laughs> it doesn't matter. She sounds like she got her feet soaking in some water right now. Okay. Oh, oh Hello. Wait a minute. Okay, we're going there. All right. So listen. Wait Carl- a minute. Carlton. <laughs> Let me stand up for a minute. Anyway, go, go ahead. Carlton. Stand up and what do. you going to stand up for? <laughs> Carlton <Kimmy>! is. <laughs> <laughs> he's a person who is it's clearly crazy <laughs> he's not crazy but he is a comedian and he's um and so and carlton's somebody that studies the craft and he's been doing comedy for 20 years um and so i wanted to bring him on as a what we call a cisgender male who actually is very opinionated and very excited to um, give his opinion on this not only the subject of dave Chappelle but comedy so thank y'all i know we're 20 minutes in i finally let, let y'all jump on so Cisgender male, as in that's how he identifies, or or is that how you're identifying him? Because I don't remember you giving me any, you know, identifiers. Oh, See, this is the energy. Yeah, did Keisha. you identify? Man, that's a... identifying everybody. What's her deal? Yeah, I mean, he um, identifies. What's, he what's capital M over here? I don't know. I don't know what. I don't know what capital. I don't know what capital M is. <laughs> I don't know what capital M is. Well, you should have learned it before you told me. What to are your pronouns? What are your pronouns? If you want to she and her. She and her. Okay. What are your pronouns, Shana? She and her. She and her. What are your pronouns, Carlton? Um, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I learn some new shit every day. Um, I, mean, I am a. You were cisgender. He, I, I, I learned that for the first time today during this conversation we had about about noon. Yeah. I had no idea that I was. I just thought that I was a man and I like women and I've been liking women. I didn't realize that there was a a compartmentalization behind it. I had no idea. Well, we can start there. Sexuality is different from gender. So who you like and who you are attracted to is not a, the same conversation as how you identify. Oh, see, we. I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. But I, I was I am an organic born made male. We're we're starting. We're getting right into it. Let's get organic. Organic. As opposed to I can find yeah. it in the grocery store. Right. Because the other stuff is yeah. not organic. It's non organic for you. Mm. I don't think no. so. Carlton. I'm messing with you, Carlton. I feel like we're gonna get there eventually, but at this point I'm just joking until I hear. I, I, well, it, it's, it's okay. Well, <laughs> go right. Well, 
Well, well, it's, it's well. The, the the purpose of this conversation is to debate and joke, but I, I'm not. There, there's not going to be any um, acrimony on my end. So I feel that I appreciate that. Same with me. We're you know, but I, I'm. I don't know about Kevin, right, but but yes. In, in in the midst of of being, you know, the kind of heathen that I am, I might offend, <laughs> but I'm not going to be disrespectful. I hear that. Same sis. Same. No. Not you. Keisha, no, sis. but <laughs> no sis, but, cisgender. Oh, uh-huh. it works. Same uh-huh. sis, Carlton. Aha, uh-huh. look at that. Uh-huh. Coming it, together. I like it already. Covered. All right, so let's talk about that though, because you you brought up a fair point about um, for those who don't know, like when you hear the term cisgender, like what does that mean to you guys, and when you like identifying and whatnot. I'll start off with you, Keisha. Since don't start off with me. No, because since I, you you were very big on starting on pronouns, I'm gonna start off with you. Mm. She, I'll go ahead and start. Okay. From what I understand, and to be clear, I didn't really put in the research perhaps that I should have. It's okay. But from what I understand, okay. it just means that you identify as the gender you were born with. So as you present to me today, Kamara, you are a male. You were born that way. Mm-hmm. And you don't identify as anything other than the gender that you were born with. Correct. So you would be a cisgender male. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now I've heard cisgender okay. straight male. Is that because, of course, you can be that again. Gender right. is different from and your sexuality. sexuality, right? So, right. so I think that's where we, we should we should start there, right? Because I think a lot of people get confused when they hear cisgender and they're like, "Oh, now you're trying to call me, you know, straight or get." Because that's what Carlton did, and Carlton didn't do it intentionally, but I think it's just because we have a lack of knowledge of it, mm-hmm. or we ha- we enter we use it interchangeably so much gender and sexuality. But mostly when we just talk about situations like this, right? Mm-hmm. But normally you wouldn't go out there and be like, hey, I'm a woman. Oh, by the way, and I'm also gay or I'm also straight. Like, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I think that when you when someone says they're cisgender, it's natural to be like, oh, but I like women because you, you don't fully understand, like, what cisgender is. But that identifies how you were you came into the world and how society, the organic society, would... <laughs> Organic, farm-grown, yeah, farm organic, farm-to-table, cage-free yeah. society would, I, would, would, would see you as, right? Yeah. So, boy or girl, right? Right. It's who you were when you came into the world. Mm-hmm. That has nothing to do with your sexuality, though. Right. Because sexuality. So, I think that that's important. That's, that's, right. that's important to distinguish. A clear distinction, distinguishment of, yeah, I may came up, come out to the world as far as in my Whole Foods, when I was born in Whole Foods, right. aisle seven. Um, <laughs> you have a story about, is that for public consumption now? About where people were born? No, it's not. We didn't say anything, so it's fine if it's not. All right. He I don't remember which story is this. Where you were born or, or where your mom went into labor? Oh, so my, my <laughs> mother went, when I was born in Germany, mm-hmm. my mother went into labor in a supermarket. Okay. So she literally had to clean up on aisle on aisle seven. Ah. So I think that's where. That's you know, where I was going. That's okay. Where she was going Speaking of being born, born in Whole in Foods. Seven, she yeah. actually I was, actually was almost, right. you know, born, born in a supermarket, which would make sense because she, bitches be shopping. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good one. <laughs> that's wild that your mother was like, it's wild that your mother was like late term pregnancy was like, but I have to get some milk and eggs. Let me tell you, and my mother you know is Keisha really now, out of control. Yeah, yeah. My mom is out of control. Store. My mom is like she's always in somebody's store, so it makes perfect sense that she would have been 
yeah. on March 30th, 1985, yeah. all up in... Yeah, you got your whole date of birth. You want to put your social in there too? <laughs> you might as well. I mean, we know how to spell your gonna, last name. What yeah. are they gonna do the with it? Yeah, they can't do nothing with it. Yeah, yeah, please. It's crawling. Yes. So I was boring. I was born in a whole hospital. Like I know, kind of freak. I don't know. I know it's weird. <laughs> Super weird. I don't know what's wrong with you, oh Carlton. Yes, sir. Did you get all that? Are you now familiar? We we cleared up uh, the idea between sexuality and gender. Yes, it's the second. Yes, yes, uh, in the. Uh, Y'all, y'all, y'all about to make me pull up my pen and pen and start taking notes. And you should. So, so we, right. So you we know. can start with cis means cisgender means or cisgender matches the sex I was assigned at birth. Are you quizzing him? You don't have to be a teacher in every moment. Oh, sorry. Jesus, this is friendly. Yeah. Why oh. is he being quizzed? Well, he said he was going to get his pen, and I wanted to assist. No. I mean, I was being facetious, yeah. but I mean, of course, he was being facetious. Give him time to go get it. Carlton's not tripping. We aren't either. We were literally looking at uh, her like, uh, are you really giving out tests here? Like, what is wrong with you? Like, right. I, I, I didn't realize that this was, you know, the borderline gender sexuality SAT. Uh, the LGBTQIA SAT. The SAT. You know, to articulate what it means, Carlton. So, I mean, you done dominated the alphabet. Now we got to add some C's. So, how do you spell is it S I S or I done dominated the alphabet? Do I you mean, think he do you meant mean Keisha or the gays. I just want to make sure. Yes, that. the gays. So he, did did Keisha dominate the alphabet or did? I th- yeah. Or did the? What I'm saying is that the, the, crew. <laughs> just so you know, Carlton, we, we may not have made it clear. So Keisha is the cis gender woman, woman. who's straight. Shanna is the queen. Okay. So if you want to just. You know, so, it, that down. so we'll if, see, if, if we'll you're see. taking score, Shanna dominated well, the alphabet because I yeah. guess she controls. We blame it all on Shanna, right? So does, well, we'll see. so does Dave Chappelle. Apparently, yeah. All the gays have caused the black people's problems. Yeah, can't wait to delve into well, this. Yeah. Well, well, I, I, I thought that queer was a slur. You can't use that word. No, queer is not alone. Longer a slur as of 2021. Just this, just this year? I, I don't think. know. I'm joking here. Oh, I'm okay. being facetious. Okay. <laughs> no, it was just it, it, it was it, it was a slur a while ago. Yeah. And then I guess blacks tried. I mean, just like blacks said that they reclaimed certain slurs. The N word. Right. So yes. maybe some gays were like, "Let's take queer." I understand it's not the same. No one is comparing the movements, mm-hmm. but I, and just in terms of a similar conversation or you know. Maybe I mean, no one's comparing the movies, but that doesn't mean that people don't try to link those things together. So let's lean that's in, unfortunate. Let's that's lean unfortunate. into it then. Yes, so, it, you know, that, as the queer person. Yes, so as, I, the, as okay. the queer person who's, who, as the queer who, person who's, who, who's the reason why everything is bad in this world. Right, and I'm sorry for all the things I've done to the blacks, which is weird because I'm also black. But okay, <laughs> I know. It's unfortunate you're non-organic. I don't know how you live. And so this, is, and, and so and so this is Shayna. That, that, like that's a lesbian. Like Shannon, Shannon like banana. He says, so this is Shannon like banana. But Shannon the lesbian. Shannon the lesbian. I have that on my name tag. I have it on my name tag. Shannon the lesbian. This is, I'm going to start calling you that. Shannon the lesbian. You should. This is all, this is. And our Monday meeting. Excuse me. Shannon the lesbian. Shannon would like to be heard. Yes. So I want to start out by telling you, and it's important, and I didn't think about it until you were talking about the Chappelle show and the different seasons. My wife and I actually 
um, dressed up for Halloween in 2015 as Prince and Rick James, mm. who you might recall were in that I'm Rick James bitch mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. I, I think that's important because I am a fan of Dave Chappelle, a big fan. I don't just mean, yeah, he's funny, he's cool. I mean, I have always been a fan. I'm still a fan. Yeah. I also, and I'm just, this. these are my disclaimers before I get into the problem that I have with his special. Okay. I also am an avid believer that in comedy, there, sh- there can't be anything that's off limits. Yeah. So I have no problem in, in the capacity of him being a comedian with him talking about all of the things that he wants. Right. I do think it's terribly dangerous if we're just talking about what he said in the context of what he said. So outside of comedy, you can say what you want. I, f- I found it to be aggressively obsessive to do a whole special to talk about how you don't have a problem with the trans community that you're actually jealous of the trans community, gay community, the gay, the gay community yeah, because of our movement. And I feel like there's so many problems with the special. Um, but the biggest one is this assumption that black and gay people don't exist in one person. So he's right. like, the blacks have done this and the gays have done this and good for the gays with their movement. Well, that's crazy to me because all I've ever received from black people is don't call your rights, the, the gay rights. Don't call that, a civil rights movement. It's not. It's different because our movement is based in slavery and all the things that we've had to endure, which is absolutely true. Mm-hmm. But when convenient, you want to juxtapose the movements together and say, well, it's not fair that the gay movement has had this traction and somehow blame us for the fact that black unarmed men are getting shot and killed by the police. Mm-hmm. Like one group of people has nothing to do with that. And so to conflate the two and be like, this is messed up that the baby is getting ostracized with this because he said something about the gays or like all of a sudden it's the gays fault that these things happen to the black community is ridiculous and dangerous and are one of the things that lead to the suicide that happened to his friend. So to say, listen, I'm not making fun of gays. I'm going to do a whole special about gays and trans people and make fun of them. Ha ha. They really were a man and not a woman. By the way, my friend ended up killing herself. I don't know why. That's so sad. Nothing to do with the commentary about how I can talk about who gays are and aren't they funny and they're not real people. I I felt like listening to Dave Chappelle, there was a bit of disconnect, um, as, you, as you stated so eloquently. Like, number one, when he talked about black trans, I mean, he talked about trans, it's almost like he forgot that black trans people exist, right? And to your point, trans people make up, um, and I hate saying people, trans human beings. That's probably the best correct way. But they make up 0.02% of the population. And he's, at this point, dedicated like two and a half specials to them. Which it's is a it, little obsessive. It's kind of interesting, right? Just to tell me that you don't have a problem with them? Right. It's <laughs> like, okay. it's it's really, it's it's a fascinating, it's fascinating in itself when you kind of step back and you're like, okay. So you spent almost equivalent of like two hours, two and a half hours. It's, I'm just being rough here, talking about a subject that you don't. You, 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 it's not a big deal. Right. And what I found really, um, I think, disheartening is him bifurcating um, identity with race, whereas most people don't realize this, but black trans are dying at a high rate through, uh, uh, by way of murder. And it's almost like to fail to acknowledge that um, is a disservice to those human beings who have passed away because of what they identify as. 
And that was the hardest part to watch for me because there are literally people losing their lives, you know, every day in this country for what they are. And feeling emboldened because he, here you have the goat from his own mouth. And I agree with that. He is right. a great comedian. Mm-hmm. He's great technically and with, with just great. Mm-hmm. Um, but people can look at him on his platform and take direction from that. And here, because I have all my comedian friends on Facebook saying that was the best special ever. And what I can see in here is they feel like, yeah, we can stick it to the trans. We can make fun of them. It's okay. Which, you know, the thing is, I don't have a problem with people being made fun of. Because I think if you're a human, the human a- appeal is everybody gets a fair, right. a fair shake at the joke. Right. You I know agree. what I mean? I at, your, at, at your expense. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, oh, it's my turn, turn on the wheel to kind of like, and that's where we, why we go to comedy shows. That's really why people sit front, front row at comedy shows. Right. You know, because like, I'm, I know that I'm about to get, you know, they're going to take something that's distinct about me. Oh, look at you wearing that yellow shirt. What are you supposed to be, Big Bird? Like, you know, like right. it's, it's, it's supposed to be like this dehumanizing. There, there's humanity in dehumanizing who I am. Right. And when, he, he, he is true that he mentioned that, you know, I'm allowed to experience a human moment. That's when he was talking about his friend Daphne. Um, but at the same time, when you walk away that humanity by not focusing on other impertinent issues that affect that community, you're doing a disservice to the subject. And to your point, Shannon, that you're actually, um, you're, harming the, you're harming it more than you realize because you're emboldening a thought to be casually ignorant to a subject. Right. You know, and he's got that he had one anecdotal case about a white gay woman who called the police on him because he's black. Mm-hmm. And again, this distinction that this gay versus black. Meanwhile, I don't know anything about that story, but we all do know about the white woman in Central Park who called the cops on the black gay bird watcher. Right. And in that moment, he wasn't gay. He was black. To her. He was Clifford the big. He was, he was Clifford black. the nigger. Exactly. Right. And he. Well, with all of his big gayness, still got the police called on him. Mm-hmm. And so this this idea that, oh, it's the gays that are racist, and we and racist gays are the reason black people cannot advance is more than dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's, it's ridiculously dangerous, and I don't understand, again, his obsession. I, I don't know. I think I thought it was very reckless for him to pit the two against each other, as if, again, black gay people don't exist. Um. Carlton, I'm going to bring you in on this conversation because I, I want to hear your thoughts on this. But is there a is there a way to say that, okay, my job as a comedian is to kind of give my point of view on something. I don't have to necessarily be the professor. I just can be a cultural observer. Is there is that proper or is that are we putting too much on Dave Chappelle to, be, to teach everybody about a very specific subject? What are your thoughts? Well... I think a, a comedian's job or his his, prim, his sole responsibility is to be as authentic as he can. And that takes a lot of uh, internal and isolated courage to do so when you are standing before people you don't know of all vast backgrounds and sharing your truth and hopes that the outcome will be generated in resounding laughter. You know, that is very, very difficult to do when 
you have something that is so passionate that you may want to say, and that is so deep in your heart, but there's a lot of dissidence within that comedian sometimes because it's like, yo, I'll feel this way. I want to say this, but no matter how true it may be, no matter how funny it may be, there's going to be a time when I'm going to offend someone in the audience and the joke won't generate it the way that it should. And that that's an ongoing war between comedians who are really trying to say something. Um, and what I found, what I, what I took from Dave Chappelle's special, I thought was absolutely brilliant. I thought that it was fearless. I thought that he had moments of vulnerability. I thought that he was, he, he had a lot of times that he was scared to even report what he was feeling. And in that you, you're going to offend some people, but the beauty about having free speech is also being able to also, the thing about free speech also includes, I'm going to say something offensive and other people may not identify, share, agree, but it is still out there. And I don't think that what he said was wrong. The only thing that I got from it was I didn't think it was funny because I didn't laugh. I was so I was just so in awe as a fan and as a comedian. I was like, "Yo, he's hitting some great points," but there wasn't any jokes. There wasn't any punchlines. That's what I got from it. Um, and a lot of the stigmas that we have to deal with, and especially a lot of this new education, comes from, especially like a man like myself. I didn't realize I was a cisgender male. It's, it's a lot of education that comes that now we have to learn new things that we didn't have to learn before. And, and I think as a heterosexual male, it's a convenient ignorance because now this is a topic that I don't care about, but I have to be forced to be informed about. I have to be forced to know about so that I can generate human compassion. And that is something that not just we as black people, but we as heterosexuals have to deal with. And sometimes I got to be 100 with you. We don't want to deal with it. You know, sometimes the same, the same way. And you don't want to have to, you don't want to have to go back to black issues and gay issues and morph them together. But in some cases, you know, I think white people sometimes feel the same way. Like, yo, look, we get it, but hell shit. I wasn't a slave master. I was born in 1965. I don't know what happened, but now we got to put them on game about what's going on to keep them aware. And I think sometimes it, the, the LBGBQ, S, I, however many more letters you want to call, they got to put heterosexuals on game. Cause like, yeah, you may not know, maybe you're not the problem, but this is what's going on in our community as well. And I think just the way is black people want to be, you know, considered human beings and well, not considered, but we want to be able to have all inalienable rights as our constitution says or whatnot. The same thing goes with all those people who, are, who, are, who have chosen, I don't want to say have chosen, who live and identify 
in alternative lifestyles. And I hope I'm, and again, I hope I'm not saying anything that is offensive or disrespectful, but that is the kind of caveat that, that is now we have to deal with. And I think Dave Chappelle hit on it. And again, because he was being Dave Chappelle instead of the way he said it, he wasn't apologetic about it. He wasn't going to negotiate about it. Those are his feelings. And I didn't think anything was. So let me just say this, Carlton, and I, I know Keisha wants to jump in here. I just want to say that you make a mention of, I don't want to deal with it, or I don't want to. Well, put yourself in a position of those who actually, this is their life, you know? And so you cannot, for you to say, and I just want you to understand, I understand what you're saying, but to say something casually, like, you know, sometimes I don't want to deal with having to, for, uh, educating me to force me to have a humanity. That should not be a ch- your humanity should not be a choice. It should be something that you want to do because you see somebody as an equal. And so, educating yourself, not because you feel like you're force fed, but because I want to be a better person. I just want to make sure we understand that that distinction. Are, are we are we clear? Oh, no, I to- I totally agree with you. I, I I just think that what I'm saying, and it's not just I'm I'm, I'm speaking on behalf of myself primarily, but also because, again, these are conversations that are now becoming apparent in, in, in barbershops now, even in comedy clubs now. You know, these are common discussions. And overall, you got people like, you don't want to say you don't care because you do, but again, it's like, yo, there's other subject matters to discuss, but this is something that has to be addressed. But it can't be the everyday conversation. So you said um, Dave Chappelle's sole responsibility as a comedian was to be authentic. I think when we talk about authenticity, it has to be rooted in something that, as you said, impacts you personally. I believe it is very obsessive for Dave Chappelle to make special after special being authentic about someone else's lived experience. And as no, no question about it. So I was like, dude, let her, let her, let her, you let her, said enough. So, okay. Okay. All right. So, so I don't take that away from you. I just think that even as a comedian, you cannot get your shit off on someone else's authenticity because it doesn't belong to you. And, and for the reasons that you stated, he shouldn't have to be apologetic. He shouldn't have to walk on egg shows. Comedians are supposed to make you, make you laugh but not at the expense of others. And when it's not rooted in authenticity, do you have a true desire to understand and unpack someone else's lived experience, not lifestyle, not their alternative lifestyle, right? But their lived experience. I think that that's when it gets, it gets dangerous and it gets irresponsible. When you are intentionally saying, I'm going to, do this show and I'm going to talk about these people and then I'm going to do another show and I'm going to talk about them again. But listen, I'm being authentic, but you aren't unless you yourself are living in that particular experience. And he isn't. And then you said, you know, sharing your truth and you know, it's about people you don't know and, you know, new education. We're, th- this is happening every day. <laughs> Shanna was 
yesterday years old when she found out that she was a queer woman, <laughs> right? That I, I introduced her to the world as a queer woman. So when Kamara put on Facebook that Shanna was coming on the show, Shanna knew two days ago that she was a queer woman, right? So I don't think education is limited for people who are not a part of that lived experience, but I do think that when you say that they live and identify in alternative lifestyles and, you know, learning this new information, I just think that comedians have to be very careful in that your authenticity cannot come at the expense of someone else's lived experience. That's dangerous. It's extremely dangerous. And in my opinion, it is extremely irresponsible. And so I needed that to be on the record because you have to do better. Like when you know better, you do better. Mm -hmm. And your chuckles and your authenticity cannot come at the expense of something that does not belong to you. So, I'm sorry, Shannon, did you? I did want to just follow up on a couple of those things. Um, When you originally asked, is it too much pressure to to require that he, you know, why can't he just be an observer or is he supposed to be teaching? And I just want to clarify that I think that part of the reason we're talking about this is because he made it clear when he started saying things like, go back, listen to what I've said. I don't feel this. I do feel that. He put it out there for us to discuss and review Mm -hmm. whether or not this obsessive special, you know, all of these specials about this particular community that he is not a member of is what it means. And so normally, no, I don't require a comedian and what he's saying, he or she is saying to be a comment on the world and some kind of requirement. But I do think that's important to note. I would go a little a little differently than what Keisha said. A, A comic should not make jokes at the expense of others. I understand we're having a very specific conversation about the trans community and the larger part of being part of the LGBT community. Um, I will go to what I think her last point just was, which is when you are a member of the majority group mm-hmm. and you make fun of a member of the minority group, that that is the distinction. So if when black people have a comedy show about this, how white people be walking and this is what they would do and, and what's up with all the white people, that hits differently than if you had a white show where people, people were like, what's with all the black people? It hits differently because white people have oppressed black people. Mm -hmm. And so it's a different thing. So I don't necessarily believe that comedians should not joke at the expense of others. That's too broad. I think that's exactly what comedy does. Mm -hmm. But I do think that when you are a part of the majority, and for Dave Chappelle, he's a straight man who's privileged to not have to worry about how he is identified and who sees him as what and who's not going to let them in their church anymore or not going to want them in their family home anymore. That's a privilege that you all have. It's not a privilege I've ha- I have because I've had family members tell me, do not bring my wife in their home. Mm. So he is a member of a privileged group and that he is now absolutely punching down to an oppressed group to make what point? That they are the reason that black men are being murdered by the police. I know he didn't say that, but it's so outrageous that he almost is saying that. Right. And so... Um, and Kamar, I-, I do want to say that my statement was specifically for the transgender... LGBTQ topic. Mm-hmm. So not all comedians should only be able to talk about things that they have firsthand knowledge of. But my conversation is rooted in when um, Carlton was talking about authenticity. So I'm speaking to just that, okay. like, you know, so that particularly when you talk about like your friend, like committing suicide and stuff, I don't think that that's a conversation you should have at someone else's expense. That's right. I'm speaking to that alone. That's fair. Um, I just want to put this out there um, and allow me to explain this thought. I thought this special was genius in in a way that 
usually when I watch a comedy show, and I really am, I really do try to be a student. I try to be a student in everything, music, any type of form, art form, um, even in my, my level of ignorance about it. But with comedy, I watch comedy show on multiple levels. I say, okay, the joke, you know, I try to anticipate the joke because I'm like, I, I see the mechanics of where this comedian's going. And I'm like, all right, I see where this is going. And I'll still laugh because I know where this joke is going. Or sometimes I'll comment and I'll say, my wife, I'd be like, uh, the joke would have been better if they would have said this. You know, they missed the mark. You know, and so I, I watch I watch comedy in that analytical lens. And sometimes when I watch a, a special, and I watch I try to watch as, as much comedy specials as possible. I'll some if I lose my interest thirty minutes in, I'm like, this was not a good good special, and it happens. Like you'll watch something and you'll be like, no, this and maybe it's just, it's it's not for me. No, the people in the audience are laughing. But I'll, me watching it from the come from my home, I'm like, it's not, it's not keeping my attention. As Keisha likes to say, it's not giving what it's supposed to give, right? And so, um, you know, what I thought this special was genius in that I was pulled in for 75 minutes or however long to his thought process about where he was going. That's number one. Number two, there was genius because, again, sometimes a comedy special, it's like cotton candy. Like, sometimes I'll watch something, and I can't even remember what this comedian said, like, two hours later. I'm like, I don't know what that special was about. And I'm not definitely not going to have a conversation about it 72 hours later. And what I thought was great about this is that it is creating a dialogue, whether we're criticizing it or we're praising it. Um, it creates a healthy dialogue about what exactly are the topics that he broached. That's there's genius in that. So for number one, to keep my attention for 75 minutes, not that I'm anybody, but to keep an audience attention for 75 minutes in your storyline. And number two, to create a special which generates dialogue. There is genius in that. I agree with Carlton. I didn't think it was that funny. Um, you know, but then that's not a standard as well, because my wife would tell you that I don't laugh a lot. In order to for someone to make me laugh, it has to be really, really funny. Because I can literally go to a comedy show and I won't laugh through the entire thing. You know, because I'm just like, I'm I'm grading a comedian on a different level. And I'm thinking about the joke. Um, so there's that. Now, I want to talk about something very, because you brought this up, Shana. Um, race in Dave Chappelle and Punching Down. I really, I think one of the things that was interesting to me, when I evaluate Dave Chappelle, especially back in the day, my favorite Dave Chappelle special is Killing Him Softly. Mm. I love that. I love is that, that the first one he did in Detroit, talking about the baby on the, in the corner? That was actually, that was not in Detroit. That was actually in San Francisco. Oh, I thought. Killing Him Softly was, uh, was recorded at the Warner Theater back in 2000, I believe. Okay. And that, back in DC, and that was DC, his okay. first full. Yes, that was his yes, first full was HBO DC. special. Yes, that was in DC. Lincoln. I'm sorry, it was the Lincoln Theater. Lincoln Theater. Yeah, it was in DC. Uh, I, I remember now. Yes. And yeah. I what I loved about that special was he how he navigated. Number number one, it was hilarious. Number two, the way he navigated race and politics and culture within his material seamlessly, and I was like. I, I thought it was one of the best specials I've I've witnessed, period. And um, what I loved about Dave Chappelle then is that his he was not afraid to tackle race 
and and um, culture in an unabashed way that he was not like I I will say something and yeah there might be white members but I'll I'm going to talk about and you know I'm going to talk about how yeah police be sprinkling crack on on it you know what I mean like mm-hmm. or you know what I mean I'm going to talk about how we how black people interact with the police you know what I mean and how and comparatively to how my white counterparts how they interact with the police and how they're very calm and how they can say whatever and you know it's like it's, it was very intuitive and I think that's what I love about Dave Chappelle is that he's not afraid to talk about a subject that other people will be like, it's hard to navigate that right? without sounding like a, you know, I'm angry or whatnot. Um, what I often wonder now is that in his special, he talked about, Hey guys, I'm not talking about gay people. I'm talking about white people. And then I thought it was like, okay, so you're using, you're using the parameter of, um, LGBTQIA to in order to navigate yourself into a race discussion, right? That's the vehicle vehicle you're using, right? Why not just talk about race then, right? You know, you don't need the vehicle to get you there unless you're obsessed with that vehicle, or you're not you're afraid to talk about it in a way. And I don't think he's afraid. At least I don't think. But that was my problem, and that's when we talk when we're talking about punching down. It's like, well, this low hanging fruit, right? It's a very easy, low-hanging fruit that you're using. Right. And that's something that I think I was I was a little bit disappointed in this special. I'm like, okay, if you want to talk about race and the distinctions and you want to talk about white gay men and that's a very real thing and how they're d- discriminatory and how or white gay women are dis- can be discriminatory, then just be... Then do that. Then do that. Right. You know? Walk, walk in that lens and, and park your car there, as you have done in the past right. with other subjects. But when you don't do that, you're almost you're like you're like you're pity pattering away because you're not like, I don't want to get directly in the punch, but right. I'm trying to get to the punch line, which there was none. Right. You know, am I am I making any sense, Carlton? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I'll, I'll say I'll say this about Dave Chappelle. Um he started comedy when he was 15 years old, which right. to me, I've just found to be like, you know, astounded. I, I, I wish I could have been able to start <laughs> at that age, but my mother was like, nigga, comedy don't pay no damn bills, nor give you life health insurance, so take your black ass to college. Right. But nonetheless, um, number two, Dave Chappelle, I think, is the only person from the Def Jam era to cross over to... Uh, white uh, rooms, white audiences. He was probably one of the first people to do it. He, I mean, when he came out with Half Baked, he did those with uh, Jim Brewer and some other uh, yeah. white comedians. So he had a different kind of introduction perspective outside of what we kind of saw from regular Def Jam folks from like Martin and Steve Harvey, Bernie Mac, yada 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 yada. Um, again, like like you said. I, you know, I think Killing Me Softly is, a, is an iconic piece of material. And the way that he navigated, like you said, from politics, race, the relationship, police, this and that and the third. Um, but I think, I think D.O. Hughley once said, my, my style in comedy changed when my humanity changed. And I think that's the kind of struggle that, uh, Dave Chappelle is now entered as he 
walked away from all that money from Comedy Central and taking 12 years off and special after special, his entire comedy style has changed. No doubt it's brilliant, it's poignant, it's eloquent, but like like I said in my post on Facebook, it hasn't really been funny. <laughs> it's, I haven't sellied over and was like, yo, and and it's it's hard to do that when your feelings become very very passionate and you feel like you have something to say that's greater beyond a joke. But I think he's like like he, he's probably one of the only people who can do that to keep your attention, and you may end up learning something and you still get entertained. But you like I didn't laugh because yeah. there are people I find hysterical that can't follow Dave Chappelle. And so in his defense, and I don't think he needs defense, but he doesn't. I think that as he has, but, 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 but I think that as his broad has changed and he's entered, he's entered, he's being introduced to new things. There are things that are like, yo, I just can't walk away from how I feel. And, and I get everything that you all are saying as far as, He's not a part of this community. He's not a part of this, 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 the, the, the problems and the issues that you all are, are going through or whatever. I, I'm well aware of that. But at the same time, he's like, well, you know, look, I can't veer from this path either. And that's the kind of ambivalence that, that he's standing on. And I think that he's like, yo, I'll put my career on the line once again, but I'm not going to refute from what I'm standing on. You know, and not so many people can do that. I don't really think he's putting his career on the line. That's we're going to get into that cancellation in the, in the next portion of it. But um, because this will be the last time he does a special, but it will be a couple of years though. Yeah, because he, he finished out his Netflix obligation. Um, Shannon, I know you kind of wanted to say something. Yes, I wanted to follow up on the whole the discussion on why it wasn't that funny. Mm-hmm. Um, and I agree. I it still was funny. There were some very funny moments, but it I I don't know if I would say it was his worst special. But I, I can't think of any others that he did that was not uh, the, as funny. So the one he did in Ohio in front of like outside, I thought there was good moments. It was like only thirty something minutes, but um, I thought it was okay. But he made good point. He made poignant observations, but it wasn't funny. So the reason I don't think this one was as funny is because he had an agenda. So before, when you're talking about killing me softly, and he's just talking about his observations. And he is being what, to me, is what I think authentically a comedian should do. Like, there's, these are the things I've experienced through these lens. Laugh with me about it. Mm-hmm. This one was clear. I need to talk about the fact that people think I'm transphobic. I'm not. Let me tell you about these experiences. Right. It's not funny because you have an agenda. You are doing this special to prove that you're not transphobic. Right. Um, and the That's other a good thing, point. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to say was he, I think a lot of it was he prides himself on his ability to say and we all love it he's he's not afraid to go there and he's willing to say the things that people you know won't say and that's fine but that doesn't make you a great comedian so at this point yeah he has the clout and he's Dave Chappelle and he's the goat but now we still have to if if he had put that special out at the beginning of his career this would be an entirely different conversation we'd be like "Mm." So you have this obsessively weird special about the trans community that you're not a part of? I mean, it's like if I don't like 
I don't like penises, and I have a whole special about why penises aren't a big deal. Mm-hmm. You'd be like, well, okay, so do you do, 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 you, you, like do you like penises? Or it's you, weird. Right. So, I mean, to say you don't like something and spend so much time discussing right. it is weird. So, it's interesting, right? As you we were talking, I was thinking about something. Um, imagine, Instead of listening to me. Yes, because I don't think what you're saying is important. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> um, so, I was thinking about a comedian. You say obsessive about it, right? And as I say... Putting on the lens, let's say there's a white comedian. And a white comedian, he spends two and a half hours talking about black people. Mm-hmm. Two and a half hours just talking about black people. And then it'd be like, at some point, you'd be like, all right, dude, like, what's really going right. on? What's really hood? You know, like, what is really hood with you? Talking about how he's not racist. Right, I'm not racist, but I'm going to tell you. this funny shit that the black people did. That the black people did, right? <laughs> and then, at the end of the special, he says, well, let me tell you how I'm really not racist. Because there was this black guy that came to my show. And he was, he laughed at all my jokes. And this black guy, let's just call him Willie. Willie just loved everything about it. And I just, and I asked Willie, Willie, I'm talking. That's a black name. And I, and I, and I, that's why I chose it. And I said, I said, Willie, God damn it, Willie, why do you always laugh at my stuff? I'm talking about, you know, niggers. And he said, Willie says to me, because I'm allowed to have a human experience when I'm laughing at the stuff that niggers do. And he says, damn, God damn it, Willie. You are absolutely correct. And then Willie killed himself because he was so he was so upset about all the pains of being a black man in the US. But let me tell you something. When Willie's kids get older. It's ridiculous. When Willie's kids get older, I'm gonna tell Willie's kids that I was the best damn Negro I've ever met. Exactly. And I'm that's that's why I am not racist. racist. And that's what it was giving me when right. I was listening. I was like, if we heard that, we'd be like, what are you talking about? Clearly you're racist. You've totally missed the point. Right. And you found a token black man that at the end of your story killed himself. Right. So almost like none of the stuff you said even mattered. What are you even saying to me right now? You know, Jim Bob, right. the comedian, you know, and I think we have to be careful of when we, it, it was when you do tokenism of a particular individual to disprove my bias. Right. Right, I can't say that I married a woman, therefore I am not sexist. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I can't say, you know what I mean, that I because I have children, it means I love children. Right. My close experiences with a person or with people does not, you know, uh, take away or, or give an example of the fact that I am not, you know, a bigot or I'm not sexist or I'm not real. I have no form of humanity. And I thought that's where that really missed the mark when he used this dead woman, you know, as an example of, of his humanity. And also to, to punch it by saying, and it is funny, but still this person who's my friend killed herself and I will tell her child, I knew your father. That's hilarious. But don't tell me that you learned humanity through that. Right. Because your ending joke for her child is, by the way, she's a man. Right. Ha, 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 ha. That's hilarious. Drop the mic. <laughs> right. Right. So my frustration has always been, and this is a conversation Keisha have had often, with the black community, community who has suffered so much, been oppressed by so many, being okay with the oppression of another group. I don't understand it. And... I ha- and with all the things that we have and have not been able to do and how it took us so long to be able to get this, that, and the other. And I had a friend um, in law school who is a black woman, married a white man, invited my then-girlfriend at the time, she's now my wife, to her wedding. We flew to Chicago, gave her a wedding present, went to her housewarming, gave her a housewarming present. 
When we got married, she said, this black woman who's also a lawyer, so she understands how the law works, I'm not going to... Was it Kamala Harris? (laughs) (laughs) She said, I'm not going to call her your wife because I don't believe in that. And I'm like, lady, you just recently got the right to marry your husband. And, And the same Bible that you're throwing at me was what was used to tell you you couldn't do what you're doing. And I don't understand why black people are so willing to be like... All right, we're still working on our freedom and all the the oppression and discrimination we're dealing with, but that other group, now they're crazy. And I'm mm. not and and I don't want them to have freedoms and I'm not willing to stand on the front lines for them and in fact I'll have a whole special about how they're really not human beings. Right. And I think that it's a problem, right? Because it's it's almost like where I saw, felt like Dave Chappelle divorced black people from LGBTQIA. You know what I mean? Like, they're, they're, it's a separate entity. And it's, I didn't even bring them up. I didn't even, like, acknowledge their existence. And that's really when you talk about it and you peel it back, that's what black people do in general with the LGBT. Like, it's a thing that exists, but we don't really talk about it. Right. It, does, it exists, but we know it's there. But we're not going to talk about that. Let's just focus on over here. And then when the suicide rate is high because right. people can't come out to their families because they're going to get kicked out of the house or be made fun of or feel less than, then what? Then what? Right. I guess we don't care about that because mm-hmm. they're gay, so who cares? Right. And if we don't talk about it, then the gays won't exist. So problem solved. That's actually if we it. don't talk about the cousin in the family who's gay, then he'll stop being gay. Voila. I mean, it's why we don't talk about the cousin, the, f- the uncle in the family who molests because, you know. I, don't, I mean, I get what you're saying. I don't like the comparison. No, no. What I'm saying people... is what I'm saying is we as a black community, we tend to not talk about things right. that are tough conversations. Right. Because it makes it seem like it's not going away. Right. Or it makes it seem like it's going away. Right. And so I apologize if it made it seem like I was kind of no, co- I know. coloring I over the lines. Right. Yeah. I just want to, for your listeners to know, like, because oh. people do say, if you're gay, you're a pedophile. And oh, no, yeah, that. yeah, yeah, so yeah. I've come out and family are like, well, don't let her around the kids. Oh. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah. It's, it's something that you're privileged not to have experienced. Yeah. But when your family tells you you're no longer welcome. Mm-hmm. And then you see a comedy special from the goat saying, yeah, all of them motherfuckers crazy. Mm-hmm. It hits different. Right. Keisha, what are your thoughts? I think that when you are, I think when you're, one, I'm still stuck on this comparison. When Shannon was like, I don't like that comparison. Yeah, that was good. <laughs> she, hey, she, she, was she, like, she, she read me quick. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit, my bad. That's okay. Look, you know how you get that fake phone call? <laughs> <laughs> but I also said I knew what you were saying. So I know you didn't have any bad intent, but there are people who do make that exact link. Right. That gay people are child molesters. Right, right. And go ahead. Sorry. No, go ahead. I was going to say make sure that that is not the views of Kamara Williams or this uh, Uncultured Bias podcast. Or Carlson Murillo. Shit, that's why I ain't saying shit. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) I ain't saying shit. (laughs) Woo! I was like, I ain't got nothing to do with this. Woo! I got on this gender stuff earlier. I kept my mouth. I'm I'm already jumping out there on some other shit. Woo! (laughs) Lordy. I don't have anything mm. to add to that. I think that that was a, a nice segue to the next one. All right. So let's, um, or let's Carlton, you wanted, you wanted to jump on what we're talking about. I'm going to move on to another portion of the subject. Okay, Carlton said, no, thank you. Okay. <laughs> you, you said, no, 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 I mean, nah, I, I'll just say this, that, um, that, uh, there is a lot of deception and discretion and, um, and, sometimes it's hard, especially in, cause nobody hates worse than family deep down inside. So it's, it's hard when you got someone and 
you know, parents know, mamas know. I mean, I, I don't know if you all have seen the movie. Have you all seen the movie Pariah? No. No, no. Oh, my God. It's, it's an awesome movie. It's, it's about movie? a young black. It's a movie called Pariah. Um, like it, it, uh, it got Kim Wayans in it. Um, and she plays some Bible-toting Jesus freak mother and her husband. Uh, and he's anyway, but it's about a young black woman in high school coming to terms with her identity as a lesbian and trying to venture out and have her first lover and heartbreak and all this kind of stuff. And there's so many different nuances within it, but it's a very powerful, powerful movie. If you haven't seen it. I suggest I, I really would uh, advocate for y'all to see it because it, it opened up my eyes to some things. And basically what it just pretty much said to me um, that in the home families know, but they're so it's a lot easier to omit and then think it'll go away because people think that homosexuality is a phase mm-hmm. until it really isn't. And then here you are, you know, you know, a kid is, you know, a tomboy at seven years old, but she's not trying to put on no dress at nineteen twenty. That's who she really is. And no one wants to say anything about it. And that's an ongoing thing in our community sometimes. And that also, like you said, leads to, you know, being banished from the home and suicide rates and things of that nature. So my only, my only point about it is that there is a lot of deception and discretion. And again, to have these kind of conversations where you can at, you know, at least let it be out so that way it can be out there. And I'm, you know, cause y'all's talking about gay people being, I, I ain't said none of that shit. Um, but <laughs> Whew. Um, I'm, I'm nervous now. Nah, man, don't be Whew. nervous. We, we, we're I school. Think, I think uh, <laughs> I like what he just said about the de- um, deception and de- and what do you, what do you say? Deception and discretion. Yeah, deception and discretion. Yeah. Um, I do think that that's where a lot of the I agree that that's where a lot of the silence and shame is built in or built from, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I. Th- what I learned this week when Shanna found out that she was queer and she sent us a message like, did y'all know I was you queer? You can thank me later. I, I would like a special note. Uh, when, when I have the floor again. Yes. I did not just find that out. Well, you should thank me funny. anyway. You should send me a thank you note for making me identify you. So anyway. So when Shanna found out. Umbrella, but okay. So when <laughs> Shanna found out that she was queer, it was like, oh, okay. It's just like, you know, I was an educator. I was an educator for over 10 years. So I think it's when I hear deception and discretion, like I do think about the students who I have who wanted to transition. I taught high school and who knew that they were not their, Identif- their societal identified societal identifiers. Yeah. Um I think that there has to be room for a safe space for those students for those people particularly I think I say that because I know people are like well you don't know until whenever but I think that that's naive of us to think to think that right Hmm. um to Carlton's point you know people know in their family but they just don't want to like say it because then it becomes real or they think they can pray it away and all of that and I and I agree with everything you all said and how dangerous that is right and so as we have these p- 
people who are just not the millennials, but those who are all the generations after us, after me, I don't know what generation y'all part of, <laughs> but <laughs> all the generations after us, they are, you know, I learned the pansexual, asexual, and like right. all, all of the things, right? I do think that we all have a responsibility to make room and make space for them because they are trying to find themselves and they do need need an outlet to be able to express these things that we don't understand. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you're talking about like rising suicide and even looking at the numbers of like the, the number of young people who are committing suicide because they'd rather not be here than deal with what society is going to say, I think that that is a conversation that particularly the black community has to have. Um, and it'll be irresponsible not to, given the data that shows that there's a there's a concern that needs to be addressed. What about, I, d- I didn't intend on going this direction, but I, I kind of want to keep it in the pocket of Ooh, controversy. Okay. What about parents who feel like society is forcing me to have this conversation with my children and at an earlier age? Like, they're forcing, like, hey, I don't, I'm not... I'm not a bigot. I don't care about that stuff. But, you know, you guys are putting this all on my kid's face and you're forcing this conversation and society is putting this and I don't feel comfortable with that. You've heard that conversation before? Yes. So I probably... Oh, Shannon, the lesbian is going to talk. Yes. Go ahead. <laughs> so this might be a cowardly response um, because I don't have an answer, but yeah. I will say... We are going to take a natural pause here in the program Namely because I understand that this is a long podcast and I wanted to give the topics we just covered a proper chance to breathe. (sighs) Now, I know I've never, ever, ever broken up what was supposed to be one podcast into separate parts. Uh, Considering the original run of this pod was just over two hours and 40 minutes, I figured this may be a good time to break. Uh, But check us out in part two. We, you know continue the conversation where we left off uh, parents response to this new environment of inclusivity. Uh, We talk about feminism, uh, particularly white feminism versus black feminism um, and its uh, placement in our community. And then we talk about cancel culture and Dave Chappelle, whether it should be canceled. So um, it's chock full of fun stuff, man. I hope y'all, Continue to rock with us uh, before I go, before you go, rather. I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this pod. Um, Part one did take a while. And if you spent over an hour and some change with me, I appreciate it. It's lovely. It's a blessing. And if I can see you on part two, um, we're going to continue to rock. And if you continue to rock with us, I thank you for that. So with that being said, we're going to see you in part two. Uh, I don't have an outro song. Usually I have a nice little outro song. But since we are just continuing the conversation, we're going to start. We're going to end it how we uh, started and uh, right out. See you on the other side.